Welcome to Crucified, everybody. I'm your host, Charlie McQuillan, pastor of Grace Works Bible Church in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, and it is my privilege to be your teacher for this time as we study God's Word together, rightly dividing the Word of Truth. Glad you can be with us today. We're going to finish the book of Philemon. This is our eighth lesson in the book, and we're going to conclude today, which is bittersweet. It's, it's always exciting to, to wrap up a study like this because you're excited to move on to other studies, and at the same time, you have to say goodbye, and that's always a hard thing to do. But before we begin our, our time here, as, as we finish out, I want to remind you that we will have a Q&A episode coming soon. And if you have questions or comments, you can send them to crucifiedpodcast at gmail.com. Again, that is crucifiedpodcast at gmail.com. Before we do the Q&A episode, though, I did an interview with Brother Josh Trelecki in uh, the Twin Cities area of Minnesota. He's the pastor of Twin Cities Grace Fellowship. And we sat down and recorded a, a, a talk and we had a good time just conversing about the things of the Lord and, and some different matters that Josh has been studying through and, and talking about. And I trust that will be a good time of listening and, and edification. It will be broken up into two parts. And so we, we sat down and, and had a good conversation, and just time, time flew by. So, so that will be in two parts. So look out for that, and then after that, we will answer any questions that come up in the meanwhile. Now, the book of Philemon, and we're going to finish up with the last five verses, verse 20 all the way through 25. And what I want to do today is talk about how maturity speaks, and when to have confidence in the saints, and why. Then, to finish up our time here, let's look at Philemon's choice, and I'm going to offer a couple of things for you to consider in light of how the book ends. Okay, now verse 20. We read here, Yea, brother, let me have joy of thee in the Lord, refresh my bowels in the Lord. Having confidence in thy obedience, I wrote unto thee, knowing that thou wilt also do more than I say, but withal prepare also a lodging, uh, prepare me, rather, also a lodging, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be given unto you. There salute thee, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, Marcus, Aristarchus, Demas, Lucas, my fellow laborers, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Now, in verse 21, when Paul says, Having confidence in thy obedience, I wrote unto thee, knowing that thou wilt also do more than I say. Sometimes what people will do, you read verses like 21 and, and couple that with maybe verse 19, where Paul says, uh, I, albeit I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me thine own self besides, you know, Philemon, I'm not going to really point this out, but, you know, you, you do owe me. You know, I'm the one who led you to the Lord. I'm not saying, I'm just saying. And then go on and say, I know that thou will do more than I say. You know, it almost sounds like he's, he's committing him and he's obligating him and twisting his arm and laying on some guilt and, and all the like. And I've made the point before. Paul is not putting Philemon under some sort of legalistic performance. He's not laying on the, the guilt. That's not what he's doing at all. This is how maturity speaks. 
It's respectful, kind, honoring. It esteems the other, considerate, but it's also very plain. And if you look at Paul's conversation here to Philemon, it's, it's all of that. What he's doing is acknowledging every good thing which is in Philemon in Christ. And you'll see that further as we dig into verse 21 particularly. Now, before we do that, I want to make one contrast here. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3 with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Sometimes you realize that you can't always have the, the same type of conversation or the same plainness in your conversation with, with all believers alike. You always are to speak the truth, and you should always be in honor, preferring one another, and considerate, and kind, and, and those types of things. But let me explain here by, by reading 1 Corinthians 3. Notice verse 1. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat. For hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. For ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? And Paul says, listen, Corinthians, I, I want to speak to you as spiritual. I have some things to teach you and to, and to press on further with, but I can't communicate that to you. Why? Because you're not able to bear it. He says you're carnal as, as babes in Christ. You're acting like babies. You're acting like little children. It's time to grow up. Hence, First and Second Corinthians, and the and the corrective measures that he lays out in the books. I want you to see that sometimes, based on the doctrine and other believers, you can have a very different type of conversation with them. It is a great privilege to have believers in your life. If you don't have this, this is this is something that one day you'll enjoy if you haven't experienced it yet. But that you can speak to very plainly. It's not harsh. It's not disrespectful, it's not unkind, or lacking any sort of gentleness. You know, you, you're, to, you're to honor one another, and you ought to do that in your speech. You ought to edify one another in your speech, the way you communicate with people. Guard your tone. I haven't always been the best about that. I'm sure you haven't either. And as you grow up in Christ and you, and you learn to put on charity, you, you learn to guard your tone. It is a great privilege to speak to believers on the basis of the doctrine, on the basis of who they are in Christ. As spiritual, that's two believers who put their ego aside and come together and communicate on the basis of truth. That's a wonderful thing, and that's a privilege to share that type of experience with other believers. Now, that's what Paul's doing here with Philemon. There's nothing coarse. There's, there's nothing inappropriate or, or untoward about Paul's speech towards Philemon. It's just very plain, but it's also very loving, and it's a great model of how maturity speaks. Philemon is someone who has faith and love towards the Lord Jesus and toward all saints. There's something about his character and his maturity that Paul understands. I want you to see one other verse. Look at Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 29. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 29. It says here, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. When we speak, we're to minister grace to the hearers. We're to build one another up in the grace of God. There is no if-then conditional performance type language, uh, legalism, in, in the book of Philemon. Paul is not 
uh, saying, look, Philemon, if you do this, if you receive Onesimus, and if you do what I'm asking, then I'll be happy with you. Then I'll accept you. Then I'll think highly of you. Then I'll esteem you. He's not doing that at all. If you were to look at, let me give you an example of this. If you were to look at Leviticus 26, and when you come to Leviticus, the book of Leviticus, and, and verse 26, or uh, I'm sorry, chapter 26, I've been teaching Philemon so much that uh, I forget that there are such a thing as chapters. Leviticus chapter 26, and I want you to see verse 14. What you have here in passages like this, or Deuteronomy 28, where Moses rehearses the law a second time to that, to that new generation, they're going to inherit the land of Canaan, you have here blessings and cursings. And in chapter 26 of Leviticus, the first 13 verses, he talks about when you guys walk, when Israel, when you walk after the Lord's statutes and judgments, and if you keep them, I will bless you. And he talks about the blessings. And then from verse 14 all the way on to the end of the chapter, verse 46, he talks about how if they walk contrary to the statutes and judgments that God gave them through Moses, that he was going to chastise them and curse them and reform them. That's what you see in all of Israel's history. These cycles of, of judgment that are designed to reform the nation and to teach them. And from verse 14, it's a, this, is a, this is the law principle. If you want to know what legalism sounds like, if you want to know how to have unrealistic expectations that you want to put upon people and put them under an if-then standard, if you do what I say, then I'll, I'll praise you, I'll accept you, I'll bless you, I will think highly of you. And, and what we do there is we, we put these conditions, what we call an if-then. That's the, that's the law principle. Notice verse 14 of Leviticus 26, But if ye will not hearken unto me, and will not do all these commandments, and if ye shall despise my statutes, or if your soul abhor my judgments, so that ye will not do all my commandments, but that ye break my covenant, I also will do this unto you. And he goes on. Come down to verse verse 18. Here's the next one. And if ye will not yet for all this hearken unto me, then I will punish you seven times more for your sins. Look at verse 21. And if ye walk contrary unto me and I will and, and will not hearken unto me, I will bring seven times more plagues upon you according to, to your sins. And he goes on. Verse 23. And if ye will not be reformed by me by these things, but will walk contrary unto me, then will I also walk contrary unto you and will punish you yet seven times more for your sins. You read all of that, and so what we do is we, we have certain expectations that we put upon either ourselves or others, our, our spouses, our children, our friends, people in, 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 in church, and, and we make a law to ourselves, and we put people under our system of, of standards of what makes us happy and what, what makes us cross, and we put that on people, and then guilt and fear, condemnation is the motivation of that type of system, of that performance-based acceptance mindset. That is not ministering grace to the hearers. That is not how grace operates. Grace is that free gift principle. Out of the basis of all that God has given you in Christ, that is the resource, that is the, the, the treasure house, if you will, of blessing that you take and utilize by faith to live life. Paul is not obligating 
Philemon on the on, on the basis uh, uh, of the law, but rather he's maybe I could say it this way: grace and love obligates you on a totally different basis. Now notice verse twenty again. Yea, brother, let me have joy of thee in the Lord. Refresh my bowels in the Lord. Having confidence in thy obedience, I wrote unto thee, knowing that thou wilt also do more than I say. Now, this is a verse you need to pay careful attention to. When he says in verse 21, Having confidence in thy obedience, I wrote unto thee. Notice he does not say, Having confidence that you will be obedient, but it's confidence in the obedience he has already. If you look back at verse 5, where he says, Hearing of thy love and faith which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus and toward all saints, Paul recognizes that Philemon has the obedience of faith towards the Lord already. He knows something about Philemon's maturity. Again, just like with the Corinthians, Paul understood where the Corinthians were coming from because of the uh, level of understanding and doctrine that they developed in their, in their inner man. And when he writes to Philemon, he acknowledges, you already have the obedience of faith. You're already someone who, who it ha- does have a mind and a heart towards the Lord. And because of that, I'm writing to you. And the confidence, you know, think of... Uh, Psalm Psalm 118. Look look at that verse with me here. Psalm 118. There's a great verse here. If you really want a good time of study, take Psalm 118 and study it alongside Acts chapter 3 and 4. It's a it's a good time. It's very enlightening. Now, Psalm 118, I want you to see verse 8. It says, "It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man." It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. And then he goes on, it is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. And on he goes to make the application there. Your confidence, Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, we have no confidence in the flesh. You shouldn't put your, your trust and your confidence and your dependency in man or in someone's flesh, their, their ability to perform. Forget all that. Don't put your confidence in my flesh. Don't put confidence in your own. We'll disappoint, and we do. The confidence needs to be placed in Christ alone. Now, this is where things get interesting. When do you, when do you have confidence in the saints? When Christ is at work in their life. The confidence, the trust comes by acknowledging who Christ is in that person. Come with me to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. We read here, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Confidence comes in by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ. Confidence needs to be placed in that Christ life, in the crucified life, in the grace life. It's Christ which liveth in me, and the life which I now live 
in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. All that Christ accomplished through Calvary and all the provision that he gives you in his grace, that is the, the, the resource and the toolbox to do life. That's where you put your confidence in. God's working in your life by faith in God's word. As Christ is formed in you, and you walk by faith in that identity, that is something you can count on. And that's what Paul is acknowledging there. Philemon operated by the obedience of faith. And it was his love and faith towards the Lord Jesus that Paul's recognizing here. You're there in Galatians chapter 2. I want you to see Galatians 5, Galatians chapter 5 and verse 10. I have confidence in you through the Lord that you will be none otherwise minded, but he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment, whosoever he be. Notice how he says that in verse 10. I have confidence in you, where? Through the Lord. Put your trust in the Lord. Don't have confidence in man. That's good advice. Now back to Philemon, and he continues there in verse 21. Having confidence in thy obedience, I wrote unto thee, knowing that thou wilt also do more than I say. I've pointed this out in the past, but when he makes the comment, thou wilt also do more than I say, recognize that's the attitude of grace. That's the language of grace. Grace is exceeding. I know that makes people uncomfortable, but that's okay. Sometimes you need to be made uncomfortable. The truth will do that sometimes. And then I want you to take note of verse 22 as well. He says, But withal prepare me also a lodging, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be given unto you. Something for you to consider. When Paul talks about a lodging, a place of rest, a dwelling, he has that confident expectation that he's going to be gathered together with the saints. Does that remind you of something? It should. How about our hope? Notice the second half of verse 22, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be given unto you. Notice the why, the Y-O-U, you and your. Remember, that is, in a King James Bible, that is second person plural. I trust that through your prayers, the church in his house, I shall be given unto you, the church in his house, to the saints, plural. Paul is expecting a lodging. He's, he has a confident anticipation of being gathered together with the saints. That's exactly what happens to us at the resurrection. We're gathered together to the Lord. We're seated in heavenly places. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and notice verse 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words." 
one day the Lord will come, and whether you are, whether your body will be in the ground, buried, you'll be raised. Your spirit and your soul will be united with a glorified body. If you're alive and you remain, when the Lord comes, you're going to receive a glorified body. You're going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, and you're, and you're going to be there with the saints, gathered together, and take your seat in heavenly places. That is the believer's hope, or at least the initiation of it. That is a wonderful thing. You're there in 1 Thessalonians 4. Look at 2 Thessalonians, and notice chapter 2, verse 1. 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 1, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto him. That gathering together. It's a wonderful picture there presented in verse 22 of the book of Philemon. Now let's finish this up here. As we close, I want you to see verse 23, 24, 25. He lists a number of names. Many of them are found in the end of Colossians. When I had studied this in the past, I landed on the conclusion that the books of Colossians and Philemon were delivered together. But when you notice the next couple of verses here, and you compare that with Colossians, it doesn't really work out. Let me explain. In verse 23, we see Epaphras, and Paul says to Philemon, There salute thee, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, Marcus, Aristarchus, Demas, Lucas, my fellow laborers. It sounds like they are present with Philemon in Colossae, and Epaphras landed himself some jail time. Now, if you compare that with Colossians chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1 and verse 7, notice what Paul says about Epaphras there. He says, as ye also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ. In the book of Colossians, Epaphras is not a prisoner. He's a fellow servant. Here in the book of Philemon, he's a fellow prisoner. So obviously there's some events that take place and there's some distinctions to be made. Also, I'll point out in the end of Colossians, not all of the people mentioned are the same as the brothers that are mentioned here verses 23 and 24. So you say, well, why do you bring this up? Well, one, to demonstrate that the books cannot be written at the same time and delivered at the same time. Then that leaves us with the question, which one came first, and does it matter? And I'm going to make the argument that it does matter, because in the understanding of this, we see Philemon's response. In one sense, let me say this, in one sense, the book is open-ended. That's important for, for this reason. You need to write your own story of grace. Or rather, God will write his story of grace on your heart. You know, as we have situations in our life where there needs to be reconciliation and restoration, there needs to be forgiveness, you need to allow the love and the grace of God to work in your life, that's something for you to decide by faith and carry on your own story, as it, as it were. That's one way to look at it, but I will suggest to you that we do know Philemon's response. I want you to notice two things here. In verse 14 of Philemon, he says there, "...without thy mind would I do nothing, that thy benefit should not be as it were of necessity, but willingly." Paul does not keep Philemon in the dark. 
he does not allow him to remain ignorant about this runaway slave. He says, without thy mind would I do nothing. It would make sense, therefore, for Paul to write to Philemon about Onesimus first before he sends Onesimus on a bunch of uh, ministry tasks. Now look at Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4 and verse 9. Here we see Onesimus again. With Onesimus, he says, a faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they, Onesimus and Tychicus, shall make known unto you all things which are done here. So now there's this correspondence and there's this back and forth, and Onesimus is known as a faithful and beloved brother, who is one of them, a Colossian. I would suggest to you that chapter 4, verse 9 is the answer to what Philemon does. He responds positively to Paul's beseeching, receives Onesimus as a brother, above a servant, but a brother beloved, and they labor together in the ministry. So do we know Philemon's answer? I would argue, yes, we do. But what about your response to your situation? When you have contentions, when there are divisions, when there are hard feelings, you need to remember that you have the resources and the tools in God's grace to rise above self and to make a lot of your Savior. If there's one thing I want you to walk away with from this study, Christ is the one who needs to be acknowledged. Think little of self and a lot of your Savior. So much so that you have the confidence in Him to let the doctrine work. And that means forgiveness towards those who have wronged you. That means a humbleness of mind. And maybe maybe what's necessary is a repentant attitude if you've been the offender. The grace of God works in spite of our problems, in spite of sin. Grace much more abounds. Acknowledge Christ in you and acknowledge Christ in others. And when that's done together, there's restoration, there's unity. Those are two believers now that make Jesus Christ the issue. That's what grace points to. Grace points to an all-sufficient Savior. I pray that you put your confidence in the one who loved you and gave himself for you. We'll close the book here. I pray this has been a benefit to you, and we look forward to our next time of study and the things to come. As verse 25 closes, so will I. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen.